Hello, welcome to our podcast. And in this podcast, we seek to cover Psalm 71. Psalm 71. One of the things you may notice at the very beginning of this psalm is there is no heading in the English Bible. There is no heading in the English Bible because there's no heading in the Hebrew Bible. There is a heading in the Greek text, however. It says, by David, a song sung, sung by the sons of Jonadab and the first things that were taken captive. That is the heading in the Greek text, but not in the Hebrew text. This is the first psalm, Psalm 71, is the first psalm since Psalm 43, which hasn't had a heading. Some call this a psalm of personal lament. Some call it a psalm of praise. But those two ideas are pretty evenly divided throughout the psalm, maybe with a little bit more emphasis on praise. But let's break it down little by little. In verses 1 through 3, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock in my fortress. The text says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Psalm 7, Psalm 11, Psalm 16, Psalm 31 all began in similar ways. The Bible says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In Psalm 70, in verse 2, the text said, May those who seek my life be turned back and dishonored. May they be ashamed and humiliated. Psalm 70, verse 2. We'll find in Psalm 71, in verse 13, in Psalm 71, verse 24, there is emphasis on the wicked who oppress the righteous being ashamed and humiliated. But this is begging God, let me never be ashamed. And he begs God to save him, to rescue him on the basis of God's righteousness. God's righteousness is appealed to often in the psalm, not just in verse 2, but in verse 15, verse 16, verse 19, and verse 24. God's righteousness, God's holiness, and God doing the right thing and making things right is emphasized. He appeals not to his own goodness, but to God's righteousness as his means of hope, as his ground of hope. He begs God to deliver him, to rescue him. Words that appeared earlier in Psalm 70, and that will appear again in Psalm 71. And he states, Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. The word continually will be used three times in this psalm. But verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 71 are very similar 
to the opening of Psalm 31, if you go back to that psalm and compare it. In verse 4, Rescue me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked and out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and ruthless man. Here he describes his enemies, and he describes those from whom he seeks refuge and deliverance and rescue. In verse 5 and 6, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. For you, from you, for you, by you, excuse me, I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Now, while these passages uh, both describe what God is doing and what the psalmist is doing, I think a proper translation emphasizes more what God is doing than what man has done, what man does. This is what God has done and been for him. God has been his confidence. God has been his sustainer. God has been the one who brought me, who brought uh, him forth from the womb. And because of this, he says, my praise is of you continually. In verse 3, he said, you're my habitation continually. Here in verse 6, he emphasizes that my praise is of you continually. In verse 7, I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. And the word marvel is used about 36 times in the Old Testament, and uh, most of them are positive. The marvel is a positive sign or wonder. However, there are times that it can be negative. Deuteronomy 28 verse 46 is an example of that. Does it emphasize that uh, he is a negative or positive sign? Seems to me the context argues more for a positive sign. I have been a marvel to many. You are a strong refuge because of all that God has delivered him. His own life typifies the wonder and the awe with which God is viewed. In verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Verse 9, verses 17 and 18 seems to imply that the author is now an older person and he's begging God not to forsake him when his physical strength is gone. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4, tells us God won't do that. But he begs God, do not forsake me when my strength fails. In verses 10 and 11, he turns to his enemies again, and he says, for my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together. They are planning and plotting his demise. And they are saying harsh things of him. They are saying that God doesn't care about him. In verse 11, they're saying God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver. He begged God in verse 9, Do not forsake me when my strength fails. 
his enemies are quite confident that God has forsaken him. His enemies are confident there is no one to deliver. The very word that is used earlier to speak of the fact that he calls on God for deliverance in verse 2. In verse 12, O God, do not be far from me. O God, O my God, hasten to my help. You may recognize that phrase, hasten to my help, from Psalm 70, verse 1, and in verse 5. But he says in verse 12, O God, do not be far from me, just like we find in Psalm 22 and verses 10 and 11. He he begged God not to be far away from him when his enemies are so near. The very mention of his enemies in verses 10 and 11 leads him to beg for the presence of God. God, do not be far from me. Hasten to my help. But in verse 13, let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and confused. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. They seek to injure him in verse 13. In in Psalm 70, verse 2, there were some who sought his life, who were seeking my life. They're seeking his life. They're seeking his injury, and he prays that they will be covered with reproach and dishonor, that they will be ashamed. He stated in verse 1, let me never be ashamed. I've taken refuge in you, but for those who desire to destroy me, may they be ashamed. May they be confounded. His trust is in God. Ultimately, those who oppose him are not just opposing him but opposing God. In verse 14, But as for me, I will hope continually. The word continually, verse 3, verse 6, verse 14. He hopes in God. He praises in God. He looks to God as his source of strength continually. Be as for me. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of God's righteousness and of your salvation all day long. In verse 10, excuse me, verse 8, he says that my mouth will be filled with your glory all day long. And now he speaks of your salvation all day long. Notice that the word righteousness in verse 15 is used in parallelism with the word salvation. In verse 16, for I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone, the righteousness of God, his most important attribute in this psalm, stressed again in verses 15 and 16. In verse 17, O God, you have taught me from my youth And I will declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all those who are to come. God has continually been his teacher. God has been his teacher from his youth. But he begs God not to forsake him when he's old and gray, just as he stated in verse 9. 
And he wants particularly to live, to tell the next generation of God's goodness. Because as he asks in verse as he states in verse 19, your righteousness reaches to the heavens. You've done great things, O God, who is like you. He wants to be able to tell the next generation of the righteousness of God. He wants to emphasize to them that God is incomparable. There is none like him. None can compare. No God his equal. No prince his heir. Who is like you, O Lord? What better purpose for living than to tell the next generation of the glory of God? May we never forget it. In verse 20, you who have shown me many troubles, you have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. And bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Notice the contrast between verse 19 and verse 20. In verse 19, God's righteousness reaches to the heavens. And in verse 20, God will bring him up from the depths of the earth. This truly is a merism as it reaches from heaven to the depths of the earth and showing us that God's righteousness and God's love and God's power are demonstrated in the highest height and in the lowest depth. In verse 21, may you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. In verses 22 through 24, he's going to speak of vocal praise in each of these verses. In verse 22, he also mentions praising God with harp and lyre. In verse 22, I'll also praise you with a harp. Even your truth, O my God, to you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. By the way, usually when you read the phrase, the Holy One of Israel, you're reading the book of Isaiah. About 26 out of the 32 times of the Old Testament you're reading from Isaiah. It's only used three times, the Holy One of Israel in the Psalms, and this is the first of those three. But the Bible tells us, To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Verse 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my mouth, which you, my soul, which you have redeemed, my tongue also will utter righteousness all day long, for they will be ashamed, they and, they and they will be humiliated who seek my hurt. Just like in verse 13, those that are ashamed and consumed who are his adversaries. Those who seek his hurt are ashamed and humiliated, verse 24. But because he has taken refuge in the Lord, in verse 1, he prays that he will never, never be ashamed. He will never be ashamed. And he said, my tongue will declare your righteousness all day long. The phrase all day long was used in verse 8 and spoke of his mouth praising God. In verse 15, for his mouth telling of God's righteousness and God's salvation. And now here in verse 24, my tongue will utter your righteousness all day long. There is more power to that psalm than we were able to bring out. 
But what can we say in conclusion about how the psalm speaks of Jesus? Here the enemy of the psalmist mocked him and planned against him and spoke against him in verses 10 and 11. They spoke against him even saying, God will not deliver him. In Matthew 27, verse 43, they said, If God delights in him, let him rescue him. It was said of Jesus. Matthew 27, 43. Just as the psalmist was mocked in verses 10 and 11, so Jesus was mocked in the same way on the cross. Jesus experienced true many troubles of his soul in verse 20. But God brought him up from the depths of the earth. I think in its original context, Psalm 71 verse 20, no doubt refers to a deliverance from a near-death experience. The God whose righteousness reaches to the heavens can deliver us from the lowest depths of the earth. But in Jesus, we see a deeper meaning to this psalm. Not only can God rescue one from a certain death, from a near-death experience, but God brings men up from the dead. In Jesus, the resurrection and the life. So Jesus could say, you've shown me many troubles, but you bring up my soul again from the depths of the earth. And because of that, those of us who put our trust in him will never be ashamed. The request he makes in verse 1, In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. Jesus is the ground of our hope and trust. And those who put their confidence in him will never be ashamed. Romans 9.33 Romans 10, 11, and 1 Peter 2, and verse 6. Truly, Jesus fulfills all the Psalms. Thank you so much for listening. If you have further questions, feel free to let us know. And may the Lord continue to bless you.